that the God of the universe, the God-man, the supreme teacher, would himself stoop and take a bowl of water, a basin of water, and a towel and wash sinners' feet. That would have been etched in his mind to his very last day. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of Pastor Lance Quinn's Loving Others in the Light of God's Love from 1 John chapter 2. The Apostle John wrote this letter to the early church late in his very long life, years after he had personally walked with Christ during his earthly ministry. John was the disciple often referred to as beloved. Experiencing that amazing love of Christ to the very end wouldn't be forgotten. Pastor Lance's text is verses 7 through 11, which emphasizes no new commandment, but an old commandment in verse 7. Pastor Lance will explain why the apostle is really referring to this commandment as both an old and a new one. Quote, there's never any doubt as to whether loving someone else was commanded by God. But by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, it has been severely twisted, end quote. Here's part one of Loving Others in the Light of God's Love. Our Lord Jesus Christ declared to the twelve disciples in John 13, 34, and 35 these words, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Genuine love, as it has been said, is the mark of the Christian. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, as recorded earlier in John chapter 13, he showed them the unmistakable mark of love, because he, being the teacher, showed his students an example they should emulate. He loved them supremely, of course, by His death on the cross. But even in that upper room, as a demonstration of His true humility, Jesus washed sinners' feet, dirty, stinky feet. He was showing them that they should in turn love others similarly as the genuine mark of selfless love, powerfully modeled before them in foot washing. One of those very disciples, John, the one in whom the Gospel of John affectionately says is the disciple whom Jesus loved, was so impacted by Jesus' example and His teaching that he could, like his Lord, say the following as you turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. This is what he said. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, 
and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is a profound passage of Scripture. It's a description of two kinds of people. One, those who say they are something and do something which isn't true. And two, those who say something and then actually do something which proves the authenticity of their words. Now follow along with me as we go through this exciting passage which has such profound meaning. Four outline points will guide us as we work our way through this text. The first one, we'll call it an old new commandment. Verse 7, Beloved, John says, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now John, the apostle, gives a command, a commandment actually, which is in one sense not new at all. Because if you were religious, especially from the Jews, you would have understood that this particular commandment goes way, way back into the very fiber of the first knowledge of Jews about their God and about what He expected of them. It's not really any new commandment at all. And certainly for Jewish Christians, out of which John, of course, is writing to some of them, this wouldn't be new at all. Indeed, turn back in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. This would not be new, especially, as I said, to Jewish Christians at all. And while this community of believers, a church or churches, might have been made up of mainly Gentile Christians, certainly the influence of Judaism and ultimately the influence of Jewish Christians upon Gentile ones would have been an excellent way for Leviticus chapter 19 to have been heard and understood. Leviticus 19, look for instance at verse 17. It says, in this Mosaic law, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. And then verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's never really any doubt as to whether or not loving someone else was commanded by God. Although by the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, this had been severely twisted by the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. It wouldn't have been unclear at all for those in Moses' day, but by the time Jesus comes onto the scene in His earthly ministry, it has become severely twisted. I'll show you what I mean. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, for instance, in verse 43 of Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's nowhere stated in the Bible. That's not stated in Leviticus 19, is it? Not at all. 
You are to reason with your neighbor. You're to love your neighbor. You're to get along with your neighbor. You're to serve your neighbor. You're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But apparently, by Jesus' day, that had become twisted, and no doubt, even by some of the very religious leaders who are supposed to be clear about the law of God. And so Jesus, coming onto the scene and teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, wants to write the wrong kind of teaching. And so he says, you have heard that it was said, not it is said in Scripture, or the Scripture commands, but you have heard that it was said in rabbinical teaching. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, verse 44, love your enemies. It was already understood that you're to love your neighbor, Leviticus 19, 18, but also love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Why does he say so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven? He goes on to explain. For he, that is the father, makes his son S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, the Father loves His enemies. In addition to the ease with which you can love those who love you, we're also commanded in the Scripture to love our enemies. It's not true that we are supposed to, quote, love our neighbors but hate our enemies. We're to love our neighbor and to love and pray for our enemies. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching here at the Sermon on the Mount. And the Apostle John is writing here in 1 John chapter 2 to his beloved disciples, and he essentially is saying the same thing. We're to love those around us, friend or foe. And so he says to them, whether you're talking really about the love command all the way back in the Mosaic Law in Leviticus 19, or whether you're talking about Jesus' own teaching in Matthew 5 and elsewhere, I'm reiterating to you not some novel idea, but something that is absolutely clear. It is not something that I'm telling you. It is something that is old. It's from the very beginning. But... Someone might suggest, well, what does John mean when he says, from the beginning? Was it from the beginning of Jesus' teaching? Some of them, of course, were not around during that time. So what does John say? From the beginning. I think he's saying, from the beginning of your Christian experience. From the beginning of that which has been begun here in this community of disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's from the beginning that you believed in Christ. This beloved community ought to know from the very beginning, not only through Jesus' own teaching, which I'm reiterating, but even for that which I, John, have been telling you all along. All that you've heard, all that you've seen, all that you've known, from the very beginning of the birth of this Christian community, you should know full well that you ought to love one another. You've seen Jesus' example or you've heard about it. And John surely would have reiterated to them time and time again what he himself powerfully experienced, and that was the very foot washing by Jesus toward himself. That would have been incredibly powerful. That the God of the universe, the God-man, the supreme teacher, would himself stoop 
and take a bowl of water, a basin of water and a towel and wash sinners' feet. That would have been etched in his mind to his very last day. And so John tells them, Beloved, that's the way it begins, Beloved, I'm not writing to you some new commandment, but an old commandment from the very beginning that you knew full well, from the very beginning of your own Christian existence. But it is new. Hence the outline point. The old new commandment. It's new in the sense that they have something to look to in their own Christian experience, which is even far newer than this command, whether it be in Leviticus or that which they heard about, or maybe even some of them saw like John in the person of Jesus himself. They saw it being lived out in their own community. So every time they loved one another, it was in a sense a new command, a new idea, a new love, a new expression, a new reality. And so, yes, it's old in terms of a continuity that has taken it from the very beginning of the Levitical law. And it comes all the way through Jesus and all the way through John to their very community of beloved disciples. And it's new and fresh. Oh, it's old, but it's new at the same time. In fact, Jesus would have taught them and John would have modeled for them the very thing that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. You know it well. Verse 34, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Which one is it? And Jesus said to them in Matthew 22:37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. No, it isn't new. It's old in the sense that we're always supposed to love our neighbor as ourself, but it's new in the sense that Jesus has come onto the scene and he's teaching it and he himself is the embodiment of it and he says, this is the great commandment. If you're asking me the bottom line question, what is the greatest commandment of it all? I tell you, it is loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second is like it, loving your neighbor as yourself. And that would have been etched in their minds. John is the aged disciple. Other letters, other communication from other churches and other writings would have come to them, maybe even like the writing that we looked at in Romans chapter 13. Do you remember it? Romans 13, verse 8. This would have been very, very clear. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There it is. Loving God. Leviticus 19, 18. Loving your neighbor as yourself, reiterated by Jesus in Matthew 22, and given by way of teaching from Paul here in Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Matthew 22. You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. You've fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. 
Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. James 2, the royal law, the law of liberty, to love your neighbor. That's love. 1 Peter 1, 22, earnestly love one another from the heart. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So whether you're talking about the old commandment out of Leviticus 19, or where you're talking about an older teaching of Jesus in Matthew 22, or you're talking about John, the old disciple now, it's really all old and yet it's new because it's new in the community to which that commandment is coming. Except, outline point number two, it's really a new old commandment. You say, what? Verse 8. At the same time, John says, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, with what John has just said in verse 7, it's not a new commandment. He says here in verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment. What is this, some kind of Johannine double talk? What does he mean it's... It's not new, but it's old, but it's really not old, it's new. What is he talking about? Well, here's what I think he's talking about. And I put these up on your outline for you. Four of them that at least come to my mind. A, this kind of new love that John is talking about is here viewed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here's what John is saying. John is saying that I'm giving you an old commandment It's all the way back in the Levitical law itself, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. But it's as old, really, even as the teaching of Jesus himself embodied in that teaching. And yes, in one sense, it's even as old as that teaching. But I, John, a, a beloved, aged disciple, am coming to you and saying, I'm writing a new commandment to you. And what is the newness of that commandment? Well, it started with Jesus, and it started with his very death and resurrection, because that brings the love of God, and that brings the love that you ought to have for each other in such a new dynamic that that was never seen before, ever, in the history of the world. How is that? Because there was no greater love expressed among men in the history of the world, nor thereafter, than in the cross of Christ. You remember when Paul has said that for a good man, someone would dare even to what? To die. But Jesus died not for good men, but for sinners. And when he died for sinners, and when he was resurrected from the dead, he showed the epitome, the embodiment, the superlative of love that could ever have been shown. That's something that Leviticus 19.18 only barely hinted at. I mean, someone comes along and he's got a problem with his neighbor. His neighbor has stolen one of his cows. And he's got to work it out with his neighbor. And he has a tendency, a temptation to be angry at his neighbor. And Leviticus 19 comes along. And in verse 18, it says, work it out with your neighbor. Verse 17, try to reason with your neighbor. Try to love your neighbor. Try to do what you can to persevere in loving your neighbor or your neighbor toward yourself if you've done something for them. Would they have had any idea of the infusion of the dynamic of Jesus' own love as embodied in how to love from that text? Surely not. Jesus hadn't even arrived on the scene. Jesus arrives on the scene. He tells His disciples, even by washing their feet, 
you ought to serve others like I am serving you. Would have been profound, but it wouldn't have been earth-shaking. It wouldn't have been earth-shattering until they saw Jesus on the cross and until the Holy Spirit comes down upon them in Acts 2 and all the things that Jesus taught them and all the things that Jesus said would have come flooding in their minds because the Holy Spirit would bring everything, according to John 14, 15, and 16, everything back into their minds of all that He'd said to them and all that He taught and all that He'd modeled for them. And boom, right in their minds is the opportunity for Jesus to come alive in their minds, in their memories, in their hearts, so that they could understand that through His death and His resurrection, it's a new kind of love. I don't understand that love. That love that Christ had for me, not a good man, but for me, a sinner, Christ died for me. And He modeled that through His self-giving death. That's a love that, frankly, even with the Holy Spirit residing in our hearts, we don't often think enough about. We don't often really ponder as we should. And that's what John is talking about. It's new in the sense that Jesus and His death and His resurrection is to you the dynamic for which you can see with your eyes and with the lens of Holy Scripture that His death and His resurrection brings us a new commandment of love that we have never, ever thought of before or seen anything like it. In fact, I'll show you this. Look back at John's Gospel, chapter 16. John 16. You want to... See how Jesus' death and resurrection shows, in a sense, an old commandment in new dress? John 16, verse 19. Jesus talking to the disciples about their sorrow that He's going to go away. And He says, John 16, 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask Him about going away. And so He said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see Me, and again a little while and you will see Me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. That is, rejoice in His death, His being gone, His being, uh, our being ridded of Him. That's what the world would say. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Why? Because I'll be resurrected. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now that I tell you I'm going away, that I'm going to die, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice because I'll be resurrected and no one will be able to take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me truly. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You know the context of this? Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. You're not going to understand it. You're going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy because I'm going to be raised from the dead and you'll have joy unspeakable and it'll be full and it will be overflowing and you will realize that the love that you're to express toward each other will be as a result of what was once sorrow that's now been turned into joy because of death and resurrection. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. If you're a true follower of Christ... How do you feel about the kind of love the Apostle called a new commandment in verses 7 to 11? The Apostle Paul spoke of Christian love many times in his epistles. An entire chapter is devoted to it in 1 Corinthians 13, which ends, 
but the greatest of these three is love, end quote. You've probably noticed we believers are not naturally loving towards our fellow believers. We must pray hard that this marvelous gift will become part of our character to care for those around us. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you're in the area and don't have a home church, you're invited to come worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. If you're a regular listener to Timeless Truth Today, would you consider financially supporting this radio ministry? We're reaching thousands of hungry hearts with the good news of Jesus Christ every day. Visit our website to make your donation, timelesstruthtoday.org. Then select Donate to make your donation of any amount. Listen tomorrow for part two of Loving Others in the Light of God's Love. I'm Matt Williams for Timeless Truth Today. Thank you for listening.